It's Sunday, December 12th. I'm Abigail Beeman, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. Well, there has been mass confusion over travel rules ever since the federal government moved to implement more testing on arrival November 30th. Ottawa says they're now halfway towards meeting their arrival testing goal of 23,000 air travelers a day. Meanwhile, those forced to stay in quarantine hotels have described dismal shortcomings, and the Auditor General slammed the Public Health Agency of Canada's ability to keep track of them. There seems to be miscommunication at every level. Hours without food, struggling to get supplies. You can't get anything that you need. You have to, it took me 24 hours to get tampons delivered to my room. Startling stories from travelers waiting in quarantine hotels. The first thing I wanted to do after moving my boxes in was to lock my door. And then I realized, you know, the latch at the top had nothing to hook onto. The expectation would be that they get access to um, appropriate um, food and accommodations. So. Last week, a scathing analysis from the Auditor General looking at June 2020 to July 2021 found the Public Health Agency of Canada didn't contact 14% of travellers who tested positive for COVID to check their isolation plans and could only keep track of a quarter of travellers in quarantine hotels. The um, agency was unable to confirm whether 75% of the individuals actually arrived at the hotel and stayed for those three days. I have directed officials in my department, including the chief data officer of the Public Health Agency of Canada, to come up rapidly with a, with a plan to optimize the collection and sharing of travelers' information in order to ensure better follow-up and better enforcement of, better, of border measures in the immediate future. All this as the country's top doctor describes a shift in case counts no longer on the decline. With daily new cases increasing, there is concern that national severity trends could begin to rise again. And joining me to discuss the latest on-border measures, we have a panel of opposition MPs. We welcome Conservative Melissa Lansman, who's the party's transport critic, and Jenny Kwan, the New Democrat immigration critic. And just a note before we get started, we asked for interviews with both the health minister and the public safety minister, and both declined. So I'd like to start with quarantine hotels, and I'll start with you, uh, Ms. Lansman. What do you think the government needs to do differently in terms of arrivals at the borders, and should these hotels be scrapped? Well, first of all, it's it's 20 months into a pandemic. It's not, you know, it's not month one. So the mismanagement of this uh, really creates a lack of trust uh, with travelers. We've heard all kinds of horror stories in my office and likely Jenny's office as well um, of, uh, of of people you know, being stuck in quarantine hotel because they, you know, they didn't use the Arrive Can app appropriately or they didn't have it. Uh, they've been tested twice. They're double vaccinated. Uh, and obviously the conditions in there are horrific. And you've heard about, uh, you know, babies not being able to get food, uh, people not being able to get a change of clothes. So the, the mismanagement around this is, uh, you know, was, was, was in the report, but we've seen it for weeks now. And the government really has an answer for it. And Jenny, what, what about you? Do you think that these hotels should stay? What changes do you think need to be made? 
Well, the Liberal government had one job to do, and that is to keep Canadians safe. safe. And I'm so sorry to say they failed miserably. They brought in these measures that were unclear. People did not really know how it was going to work. Uh, and then for them to be quarantined and not be able to access basic needs, it's just unbelievable that this is happening. And worse still, that they're not even keeping track of the people where they tested positive. How could that be? That's a very basic thing that they had to do and they even failed at that so the government really need to take responsibility for their failures and they need to answer to canadians and what they what they're going to do to fix it these quarantine hotels have had problems for a very long time now i've been hearing them consistently from individuals who have been quarantined the conditions are terrible uh, there were early issues around safety even uh, and even now after all these months the government did not have the wherewithal to fix it. The Auditor General now has come up with a scathing report that basically says that the Liberal government has failed Canadians, and that is not acceptable. Okay, so I hear both of you are on the same page about the government needs to fix these hotels, but I'll just give you one, one more opportunity, and I'll open the floor up to both of you. Do either of you think that, these hotel, that this hotel program should be scrapped altogether? Should Canadians you know, just go home to quarantine? That's a question for uh, for the government, but we don't know who they're taking advice from. We they're not running the uh, the hotels in any way um, that is good for people. So uh, look, I would I would it it makes absolutely no sense for a traveler who has been double vaccinated, double testing, to be told that they are stuck in a government facility run by the uh, liberals at, uh, uh, at 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 a level that is distressing for anybody in there. So these these hotels have to go. And and you, Ms. Kwan. Well, I have to say this, how come the hotels who are being paid by Canadian tax dollars are not doing their job? How could it be acceptable that their level of service and standard is so deplorable? And so we do have to get to the bottom of this. For individuals, I've heard from individuals who have a very sound quarantine plan. They even have their own home that they can go to with nobody uh, that, that uh, from their family living in those quarters so that they can be completely isolated. Uh, and the government is saying, no, that's not good enough. They need to actually go in to a quarantine hotel. So I think the Liberal government needs to have some explaining to do. How is it that the things are so bad? And how come people with sound quarantine plans are not accepted? The other thing that I want to raise is this. A lot of these quarantine hotels, in fact, the government allowed the company to displace workers. Many of the workers uh, there are women and racialized women who's been with the hotel for many years. And they have been displaced and they brought in new workers uh, to do this work and only for us to find that the job that they're doing is not up to snuff. This is not good enough. I want to move on to the Auditor General report, and I will start with you, Ms. Kwan, because you raised them uh, first. The health minister, as you heard in that clip, too, promising to improve basically information sharing to keep better keep track of people. Uh, is Will that be enough? Well, they actually did not keep track of people. The Auditor General's report indicated that uh, people who tested positive, uh, a thousand people, can you imagine, a thousand people tested positive for COVID-19, and the government did not even manage to track them, don't know what happened to them. How is that even possible? They had one job to do, and that was to keep Canadians safe, and they have failed at doing that. And now this is particularly concerning because COVID-19 numbers are on the rise. We need to take every measure possible to protect Canadians. And we, of course, need to follow the science in that regard. The government knew this was coming. 
how come they couldn't deliver? And Ms. Landsman, do you do you take uh, Minister Duclos at his word that uh, he'll there'll be better information sharing and that that will fix this problem? Well, no, I think it's a reaction that's 20 months too late. We've we've heard uh, the constant refrain uh, that the government can't even get testing right. 30% of tests, that's one third, that's 400,000 tests uh, from uh, from February to June of last year that have been misplaced or not matched with uh, uh, with a traveler. So if you're not getting uh, if you're not getting one third of them and you're 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 putting forward new testing requirements, how does the how does the Canadian people trust this government to, to keep them safe? Uh, that's what they have to answer for. That's what they have to explain to Canadians, and they haven't done so. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you very much, Conservative Melissa Lansman uh, and NDP MP Jenny Kwan. Thank you for your time. On Tuesday, the finance minister will present a fiscal and economic update, giving Canadians a look at the state of things amid rising prices, record inflation, and the impacts of a pandemic which has not released its grip on the world. Bringing his insights, we have former Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Polos, also currently a special advisor at Osler. Thank you so much, Mr. Polos, for joining us. What should Canadians be looking for in this update, and what do you expect to see? Well, I think we're looking for some basics. Uh, people want to be reassured that the fiscal plan is a sustainable one, uh, one that uh, perhaps uh, begins the, uh, the return to a place where we'll know we'll have some room to maneuver should another big shock occur. So that's where the deficit and the debt plan uh, fit in. Uh, people will be asking, well, will there be any new taxes that might inhibit growth in the economy? Hopefully not that type of uh, tax. Uh, and will there be some growth enhancing measures, uh, measures such as you know tax efficiencies, simplification of the tax structure, or internal trade barriers between provinces? Those kinds of things, I think. I noticed you said that you were hoping to see not that type of tax that would inhibit. Is there a tax you're expecting to see or a tax you would like to see? No, I have no inside information on that, uh, Miguel. But uh, but we know that uh, the traditional taxes that are you know kind of easy to implement uh, have a tendency to slow economic growth. And my sense is that economic growth, once we're past the the bust and recovery of the COVID uh, shock, uh, the trend rate of growth for the economy is actually going to be fairly modest. And so. Every decimal point matters because that's how we'll we'll work work our debt down. Having done all this fiscal work during the uh, during the pandemic, so I'm hopeful that if there are any temporary increases in taxes to help address that, that they'd be the type that do not slow growth, such as uh, such as uh, sales taxes. I think sales taxes, especially if they were temporarily increased, would be a, a very good way to go about it. All right. We also have an announcement Monday with the finance minister and the current Bank of Canada governor. Uh, reports are suggesting that the bank will not change the 2% inflation target. With the opposition hammering the government on inflation, I'm wondering if you think that a change to that 2% target could be seen as a political move. Well, I hesitate to uh, comment in any detail, given that's uh, somebody else's responsibility these days. But I would just observe that uh, for pretty well 30 years now, that framework that's been in place has done a really good job. It's simple for people to understand. It's not really debatable per se. And uh, I think uh, sticking with something with that same base, it's possible it will be tweaked in one way or another. There's lots of speculation today. 
uh, over the weekend, but uh, that's fine. We'll wait and see what they have to say. But as long as the Bank of Canada continues to have some room to maneuver, to take its judgments into account, and uh, that the anchor of inflation remains in place, I think uh, we can be satisfied. And on inflation and on the opposition's continued drumbeat that it's the Trudeau government's policies to, to blame for this, this high inflation, is that fair? Uh, no, not really, you know, unless, unless uh, it, it was prefaced with, uh, aren't we lucky that the policies worked well to prevent the second Great Depression, which is what many economists were worried about uh, when, uh, when we first, uh, were first encountered the COVID shock. The biggest worry that we faced was that the economy would go into such a, uh, a low state that deflation would kick in. And once deflation kicks in, it's very hard to reverse. What happens with right. deflation is if you have outstanding debt, which we all do, the debt keeps growing and it's and how hard it is to uh, to service with the, with deflation ongoing. And that's where depressions come from. All that was avoided, which is a great news story. Uh, and if we're in the, the zone now where the fine judgments have to take place, well, those are fine judgments. Mistakes could be made or they could be just fine. And we won't know really what inflation is for about another six or nine months. With the increase in the cost of living now that you know Canadians are facing at the grocery stores, at the gas pump, is there something that the federal government can actually do to help in the short term? Uh, really not. Uh, inflation is a slow, usually a relatively slow-moving process. In this case, it wasn't, which is a clue that tells you that it's usually from or mostly coming from temporary factors. So a quick anecdote, if you don't mind, I mean, I stayed in a hotel room just before the pandemic in Toronto, $449. I stayed there in November of 2020, it was $149. Right. And I stayed there a couple of weeks ago, and it was $300. So it's gone up a lot in the last 12 months, 100%. And yet it's still below where it was pre-pandemic. And that's the pattern we see in many sectors. It's all buried in the CPI. So we won't know what the trend of inflation is probably until the summertime. All right. And, and one last question for you, Mr. Polas. It's a decision you had to make when you were in the governor hot seat many times. Do you think now is the time to raise that uh, benchmark interest rate? Well, the good news is the economy is mostly back to normal. I realize there are pockets where it's not. We have the supply, supply chain issues. Those things will work themselves out. But we're we're back in uh, in the neighborhood of, of where we belong. And so, you know, it is time for everything to normalize. Prices, interest rates, all those things. Uh, I don't say immediately or anything like that, but all the conditions point to good news. And uh, so, yes, it's no longer necessary to have really, really low interest rates. Uh, but the path to normalcy is something that we can't really predict because it will be a very data-dependent process. We'll have to see how it turns out. All right. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for your insights, former Bank of Canada Governor Stephen Polos. We are extremely concerned by the repeated human rights violations uh, by the Chinese government. 
Canada joins allies, including the U.K. and the United States, in a diplomatic boycott of the upcoming Beijing Winter Olympic Games. Athletes will still compete. Canada says keeping them safe is a priority, but government dignitaries will not attend. Joining us to discuss the latest on the Canada-China relationship is former Canadian ambassador to China, Guy Saint-Jacques. He's currently a fellow at the China Institute at the University of Alberta, as well as at the Montreal International Studies Institute. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's start with that boycott. Do you think that it goes far enough to stand up to China? Well, I think we uh, we are running out of time, and maybe in these circumstances, that's the best that uh, we could do. But in my view, it's the minimum. What uh, we should have done is, uh, a year ago, uh, take advantage of the ongoing COVID crisis to say that uh, we needed to uh, postpone the game by one year and use this time to put pressure on China to agree to a full investigation by the UN on what's really going on in Xinjiang and also to force them to collaborate with the WHO to, to find the, the true origin of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, China would have refused to collaborate. And then Canada and the U.S. could have jointly uh, offered to host the games using existing facilities in uh, Whistler, uh, Vancouver and Seattle. But now we are uh, playing catch up. Of course, we don't want to penalize the athletes. Uh, but uh, I, I do hope that we will uh, have more Western countries that will uh, join this uh, uh, boycott. On the flip side, should Canada be concerned about any possible retaliation from China? I know there's, you know, the mention of stepping up security for, for athletes. Should Canada be concerned? Well, I would not be uh, concerned about the security of the athletes. But of course, uh, uh, if we if there are more countries that join this uh, official boycott, because in my view, it's more an official boycott than a diplomatic boycott, uh, then it, it will be more difficult for China to uh, to penalize us. Uh, I, th I would expect that we will have uh, we will be punished for the eventual decision on Huawei if it ever uh, if it's uh, ever announced. Uh, on that, I don't understand the, the delay. But to come back to the uh, safety of the athletes, uh, I think that uh, there would be such a public international outcry if they dare to do anything to athletes from the, the countries that have uh, officially boycotted uh, the, the opening ceremony, uh, that, uh, uh, and, and there would be consequences for China. So uh, I would not be uh, too concerned about that. Last week, we also learned our ambassador to China, Dominic Barton, is stepping down. I'm wondering, what do you make of that move and what would you like to see in our next ambassador? I'm sure that uh, Mr. Barton has come to the conclusion that uh, things won't uh, improve in the short term, you know, with this decision on the uh, boycott of the uh, of the games, uh, the uh, hope, uh, hopefully upcoming decision on Huawei uh, and uh, uh, also for him, it was difficult for personal reasons. I understand his wife uh, was living in Hong Kong, and it's difficult to travel back and forth. Uh, each time that he, he he goes back to uh, Beijing, he has to go uh, to spend three weeks in uh, quarantine. And and because the relationship will remain difficult, uh, I think you know Canada would be better served with a, a career diplomat, someone who would have served previously in China, who hopefully speaks the language, knows the culture, knows the political system, be, and, and can be forceful, because there will be very difficult discussions uh, with China. And if you have listened to what uh, the Chinese ambassador, Tong Piu, said earlier this week, 
they don't admit any guilt for the uh, the crisis. They they just say that it's for Canada to learn the lessons, and so it will take a long time to rebuild uh, confidence. Uh, and uh, I hope that uh, we will hear more at some point on the what is the Canadian strategy on China, uh, because uh, at the minimum we need to be a, a lot more uh, firmer. And finally, to your last point, I want to ask you more about Canada's China policy and, and also what you made of the line in the speech from the throne mentioning deepening partnerships in the Indo-Pacific. Where does Canada go from here? Well, I also look forward to seeing the mandate letter of Minister Jolie and also of the Minister of Defence because there is an important security angle uh, to the Indo-Pacific strategy. What we have heard that the, the, this new Indo-Pacific strategy will cover China, uh, but that in fact, the, the, what I've heard is that the policy on China will be flexible uh, and uh, maybe not very explicit. And I'm a bit puzzled by this because it's always clearer for everyone, for, for diplomats, for uh, uh, politicians and for our allies to know exactly uh, where we stand. Let's remember uh, in all of this that uh, our security uh, interests are aligned with those of the United States and other members of the Five Eyes uh, and that we will have to work a lot more closely with allies to develop a common strategy uh, to oppose the what I, I've called the dark side of China and to prevent future ostage taking and to uh, stop the use by China of uh, punitive trade measures to punish you uh, if uh, you don't uh, obey their orders. So there's a, a lot of work that needs to be done on that. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, uh, again, uh, our uh, partners are expecting more clarity from us. That's all the time we have. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for your insights, former Ambassador Guy Saint-Jacques. And that's all the time we have for our show today. For The West Block, I'm Abigail Beeman.